So I want to talk about this morning about the, uh, the tabernacle of God. And it's just coming out of a place where, for me, I have a, there's like a fresh fire in me just for, for like God's presence. Of really making that a priority. And, you know, we, our mission statement is equipping a community of people to bring heaven on earth. And we're bringing the kingdom of God into, if you want to bring the kingdom of God, you first, you got to bring the king. There's no kingdom without a king. And so the way we do that is just we simply prioritize the king's presence. And think, you remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem on his triumphal entry before he was crucified, everybody's shouting Hosanna to the son of David and they're laying palm trees down. Just to, that's the way you welcome Jesus into your circumstances. <laughs> You shout, Hosanna, salvation comes from you, which is, Hosanna means, save us, please. <laughs> and so they're shouting, save us, please, O son of David. And they're laying the palm trees down, uh, palm, palm branches down. And so there's, it's just symbolic of, hey, we lay things down. We make a way for the Lord. We welcome him into his home. And uh, there's so many layers of, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and we're going to touch on some of those this morning. This picture up here that's in the background, this is the first tabernacle that was set up. This is called the Tabernacle of Moses. And it's pretty simple, right? That doesn't, this is, you know, supposed to be like an exact replica of of the measurements and everything that was laid out in, in the second part of Exodus. But look at that. It's in the middle. It looks pretty dirty. You got an altar in the outer court and you got the tabernacle meeting. And it's just, I just, I love that because God's just not, <laughs> he's not pretentious. He does, he's just looking for anybody that says, hey, come on in. And, um, and so I want to go through the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of David, and then the New Testament tabernacle or temple. So we're going to start with uh, the tabernacle of Moses. And so if you remember, if you've read the book of Exodus, the first part of Exodus is the children of Israel being delivered from Egypt. And then the second part was the covenant that God established with Israel. And God, he's manifesting himself on Mount Sinai. It's thunder, smoke, lightning, the mountain is shaking. And Moses is saying, the Lord wants to meet with us. Let's go up to the mountain. So everybody was invited. Everybody was invited, but said they were, they were afraid, which rightly so. I mean, a mountain is, I mean, there's thunder, smoke and the, the mountain shaking. So like, I can't say I necessarily, I understand why they would have been scared. But Moses, it said Moses approached the mountain with fear and trembling, but he still went up. But they told Moses, you go up there, you listen to the Lord, you speak for us, and then you speak for him. We'll stay down here. So Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he's up there for 40 days and this is when God invites Israel to enter into covenant relationship with him. And it starts off with the Ten Commandments. 
And then Moses comes down with the, the Ten Commandments, and then there's, there's 52 other commandments given that relate to uh, relational things and moral issues. And if Israel obeys the terms of the covenant, they will become a kingdom of priests. This is Exodus chapter 19 where it says that. And the Israelites, they're excited. We're like, yeah, we'll do that. Make us a kingdom of priests. But this is when they, they send Moses up. While Moses is up there, they get impatient. They make the golden calf. Moses comes down and is like, what are you doing? And my whole point of telling this story is that when you, basically the, the opposite of religion is his voice. When you're disconnected from the Lord's voice and from his presence, you start making idols. When you're disconnected from his voice and from his presence, you start making idols. So you have to know the Lord's voice. You have to recognize, learn to recognize the Lord's voice. But the first key to, to learning how to hear the Lord's voice is you have to be willing and you have to, to know that he can speak any way he wants to. Bobby Connor, who is a prophet, he was going to write a book on, he was helping Jack Deere, another teacher in the body of Christ, write this book on the voice of God. And he said, hey, Bobby, tell me like the 10 ways God speaks. So Bobby was at his desk, and he was writing, all right, 10 ways the Lord speaks. And when he looked up, and Jesus was standing in front of him, and he said, yes, Lord. He said, tell Jack Deere I speak any way I want. <laughs> and he was like, calls Jack. He's like, I can't write the chapter. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the Lord speaks any way he wants. I, I, the Lord spoken to me through billboards, bumper stickers, signs, other people. The main way is through, this is 95% of the way he's, he speaks to me. It's through his word, bringing a scripture to remembrance, highlighting a scripture. But you, it's, it's harder to recognize his voice if you don't know what he's already said. And so nothing trumps the word of God if what you're saying is it violates the word of God. It's not the Lord. If it's a voice of condemnation, it's not the Lord. The Lord corrects without condemnation. How many of you have ever been corrected by the Lord and it was like the sweetest kiss? You're like, how do you do that? How do you correct and make me love you more? Only the Lord does that, you know. So we had the tabernacle of Moses. And... God's presence led Israel through the desert. It was cloud by day, fire by night, a pillar of fire. Can you imagine just a, a, a pillar <laughs> leading you? I mean, there were so many super, I mean, the, the exodus and the journey through the wilderness is crazy. Manna every day that fed them, water that came from a rock, that rock followed them to give them water. They, they started complaining they wanted meat. God's like, I'll give you some quail, and you'll have plenty. And two-mile radius, three feet deep, quail. Imagine, imagine walking out of your tent. I'm telling you, two miles, quail, three feet deep. A pillar, you know, they saw the Red Sea parted, and yet 
they were disconnected from God. And it's because they didn't want to hear his voice. They didn't want to go up on that mountain. They didn't want to fear the Lord the way the Moses wanted to. And so we go to the, uh, the tabernacle of David. And so David, he had been king in Hebron for about seven years, I think, if I remember correctly. And now Saul has, has died. And it's, there's a whole, you could do like a year sermon series on the life of David. But Saul has died, and now David's coming to Jerusalem. And David, the first thing David wants to do, he's like, Where's, let's find the ark, and let's get the ark to Jerusalem. Now, so David's priority was God's presence. Saul, in 1 Samuel 5, the Philistines captured the ark of God. They tried to put it in the, their God's temple. His, his name was Dagon. Dagon, his statue was probably as tall as this ceiling. And he had the head of a fish, and he was, the Philistines were a coastal people, so he was their provision God. And so he had the head of a fish and the body of a man. They put the ark of God in front of Dagon. The Philistines did. The next day they come, Dagon's bowing to the ark of the covenant. And the Philistine priests are like, that's strange. Let's put him back up. Can you, all right, imagine having a God that you have to put back up. You have to erect, you, you, you're like, let's help God back up here. So they leave him. Second day, comes back. Dagon's bowing before the ark of God again, except his head's broken, his, his hands are broken off, and his feet are broken off. God's like, don't, don't help him back up again. <laughs> and then tumors and sores and boils break out on the Philistines. They're like, get the ark out of here. So they send it off into the wilderness. Saul knew they had taken it out and just basically be like, here, y'all can have it back. But Saul, this is the, one of the different, main differences between Saul and David. Saul didn't care about God's presence. He never brought it to Jerusalem. He never brought it. It was never a priority to him. Saul only sought the Lord when he was trying to get out of a pickle. And many times, that's what our relationship with God can look like. Is like, oh, I'm in a bond. I need some help. God, will you help me? And it's, it's the SOS God. It's the emergency God. And then the, the time we get our life back in a little bit in order, we're like, all right, you can go back. To the wilderness. David, his priority, good times and bad times, was the presence of God. And so he's like, let's get the ark. And David, so they, they put it on a brand new cart. David's like, man, I want to honor God, man. Let's put it on a brand new cart. Let's have some ox carry it. And so they're bringing it back to Jerusalem. And there's a guy named Uzzah who's walking with the, the cart. The oxen stumble, the ark starts to fall. He reaches out his hand to keep it from falling. Uzzah is struck dead. This is, brings us to this place where, where David, he's, he's grieved. And it, it's, he says, he, it says he feared the Lord that day. And the reason what 
this is God is not going to budge uh, on he, he's not going to be manipulated by man God has ways that we enter into his presence and he just doesn't back off of those and so David he I can imagine David is like listen if we if we can put it on an ox cart and a brand new one I mean God will like a brand new one I'm sure and we can get into Jerusalem faster but oftentimes the ways of the presence of the Lord is, is low and slow. And so God's like, no, put it on the priests, put it on their shoulders, and you're going to walk. It's gonna, and then every, so, every thousand meters you're going to sacrifice. This wasn't efficient. We like, and men, men and women like efficiency, Right? This is kind of a waste of time. Why, why can't we do this faster? Why can't we get it there sooner? What, what's happening? Impatience. What happened to the children of Israel at the bottom of Mount Sinai? Impatience. So there's times to, when we want, if we really want to cultivate the presence of God in our lives, we have to take it low and slow. And think about that in your life where you're like, man, you know, I tried reading my Bible for a week and nothing happened. I'm going to give up on it. That's the wrong attitude to take. You're sowing seed. You're building a house for God. And what's going to happen is you can't see a finished house, and then one day there's going to be a brick, the final bricks laid on there, and you're going to wake up changed. You're going to wake up different. That's how God moves. It looks like low and slow, low and slow, and then fruit pops up out of the ground. The seed matures so David entered Jerusalem to reign from there made his first order of business the ark said when David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offerings he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and David spared no expense towards 24-7 worship expression this meant musicians he had singers he had, these people were paid, musicians. This was like their job. He's like, hey, we're going to pay you. We're going to provide you food, shelter. You stay and you minister. Singers, gatekeepers, those who offer burnt offerings, those who offer thanks. Imagine if somebody's like, I'm looking for somebody to give Thanksgiving 50 hours a week. <laughs> that was your job. Well, there's guys in David's tabernacle, and, see, and he, had a, he had rotations where it would go all the way through the night and all the way through the day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In Amos chapter 9, it talks about God restoring this model of the tabernacle of David where there's 24 hours of worship, seven days a week, worship and prayer. There's, you have IHOP KC, IHOP Atlanta. Houses of prayer are springing up all over the world with this mandate. But it says, In that day I will raise up the fallen tabernacle of David and wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name. Was anybody here last week and, and heard Janice's message? She talked about Edom representing the flesh, representing Basically, those not submitted to the Lord and, and, and nations. And it talks about here, it says, they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the nations who are called by my name. 
In other words, it's going to release the kingdom of heaven. Verse 13, it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman would overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. When the mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved. Also, I'll restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land, and they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord your God. So it says the plowman will overtake the reaper. What this is, it's, just a, it's a picture of acceleration. And I, I think that we're in times of acceleration right now where, where things are speeding up as far as end-time events. And uh, as we were praying earlier, we want to be ready. We don't want to be ignorant of God's ways. So, G, so David bringing in the ark of God was a, was a foreshadowing of Jesus entering into Jerusalem and his triumphal entry. So they said, Hosanna to the son of David, as Jesus entered Jerusalem. And Jesus, the very word of God, the embodiment of God, he's the new ark of God, so to speak. He was entering Jerusalem just like when David brought the ark back out of the wilderness and gave it top priority in his kingship. And so as David made God's presence top priority, Jesus' top priority was cleansing the temple and restoring the purity of God's presence from a pure heart. Right after Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, he, first, he goes immediately to the temple to restore the presence, to restore the priority of the presence. Because there was money changers. It was, it was like a marketplace. Nobody was prioritizing the presence of the Lord. And this is part of what God is doing in the church right now, universally. We've made it a marketplace. We haven't prioritized his presence. And Jesus is coming to cleanse his temple. Judgment starts with the house of God. And, and look at judgment as correction, getting us back in line with the Lord. And so that truly churches are going to become houses of prayer again that prioritize the presence where it's not going to be about being, even being relevant in the eyes of the world. I'm telling you the most relevant thing and the most life-changing thing you can be for somebody in your life that doesn't know the Lord is to be Jesus incarnate. It, it's the slickness and like, you know, and trying to, you know, laughing at their jokes that may be inappropriate. None of that's going to work. I'm telling you, you just represent Jesus. It's those little things. It's those little things. And, I, you know, I had a, a client one time when Hugh Hefner died. He's like, yeah, I went out and I bought a Playboy. Uh, just, you know, kind of memory of Hugh Hefner. And I went, I just kind of <laughs> looked at him. And it, I, didn't, I didn't even rebuke him or anything. I just didn't laugh or it was like, yeah. I just stood there in uncomfortable silence. <laughs> and he was uncomfortable. He said, yeah, I mean, you know, and then the, the next day he came and tried to explain himself. And I was like, yeah, I said, I just know that it almost ruined my life. So it's, I, I've seen it ruin people's lives. And I didn't accuse him of anything. I wasn't asking him to do anything. I'm just, I was just telling him my story. <laughs> 
Those types of things, it didn't ruin our relationship either. Now, it may, you may have times where it ruined your, it will cost you a relationship, but I'm just saying, that's what, that's the salt and light part of being a Christian. And you're not like trying to go around and correct everybody. Hey, that's not, Jesus wouldn't do that. Don't expect anybody that doesn't have Jesus to act like Jesus. All right? Lead them to the Lord, and then you can start discipling them. <laughs> so I want to talk about New Testament temples. And you probably know that the, the New Testament talks about us being temples of the Lord, that we are God's temple. There's a caveat. Your body is a temple that bacon will ra- ravage. Anyways, I saw that. I couldn't, couldn't pass back on it. There you go. Um, oops, I guess. Swipe this thing. So New Testament tabernacles and temples, there's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? Say, I am not my own. You have been bought with a price. Say, I have been bought with a price. Then it says, therefore, glorify God in your body. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? When the ark came into Dagon's temple, there was no agreement. There was no handshaking. Idols fall in the presence of God. That's, a, that's another thing about that's beautiful about the presence of God. Things can break off of you that have held you back for long, for long periods of time. And you may not know, that. what is that thing, God, help me. And in, in, in a moment, in God's presence, it can fall like a chain. Just like Dagon bowed in the presence of God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them. And walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is a huge promise that God makes in the Bible. I will dwell in them. Huge. And walk among them. So he's on the inside, and he's on the outside. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. A holy nation. Israel's role was to show God to the rest of the nations. And Israel still has promises that God's made to them to restore them that will culminate at the end of the age. But the church's role is that exact same role. We're here to, represent, we're here to show God to the nations. We're here to represent the Lord. We're here to, to live from a different kingdom, to live from a different reality. You know, I, I had this thought pop into my head earlier this week that most of our compromise comes from not living with an eternal perspective. Most of our compromise comes from not living with an eternal perspective. Because most compromise is very right now, right? I'm going to watch this right now. I'm going to say this right now. And it's, it's because we don't think eternally. And that's what the mind of Christ does. The mind of Christ thinks from an eternal perspective. If Jesus was right now, he would have forfeited the cross. Right? But he didn't. He, he knew that his father was going to resurrect him. He believed that. 
He knew what his, he saw his, his life from an eternal perspective. Houses of prayer. In Matthew 21, verse 13, Jesus said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a robber's den. I, I talked about this earlier. And, he, and so Jesus is again cleansing his temple before he descends as the line of Judah. So this is, just to reconnect it again, first triumphal entry, cleanses the temple. Second triumphal entry, what's, what's going to happen? The, the cleansing of the temple. All right? And so in John chapter 2, it says that he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. So imagine the scene. We've got, we've got goats. Goats are filthy. They poop everywhere. Like, they're literally just pooping as they walk. Just like droplets coming out everywhere. And they're... And, Always asking for food. They, you know, they don't care about anything else. He drove them. They, the sheep and oxen. Oxen? Even bigger poop. Anyway, so, so he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And those who were selling the doves, he said, Taste. the house is, the house are, you got doves. Doves poop everywhere. I know I'm getting on poop here, but I'm talking about, think about it. It's a mess. It's a mess. Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that this was written. Zeal for your house will consume me, which is Psalm 69, verse 9. This is what David said. He said, zeal for your house is consuming. David's one thing, this is why he was the best king in Israel's history. It wasn't because he was a great man of war. It wasn't because, uh, you know, he was clever or wise. It wasn't any of those things. The reason David was the greatest king in Israel's history is because he had one thing that he cared about. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have desired, this I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. And any time in the Old Testament you hear that phrase, house of the Lord, you can substitute presence, the presence of the Lord. Psalm 23 says that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He's like, I will be in the presence of God all the days of my life. Because that's how they understood the presence. You go to the temple, you go to the house of the Lord to experience the presence of God. David knew that God left his house, though. <laughs> he was one of the few ones that did. He knew, he knew God followed him into the fields. David, and this is another reason why David is a, is a foreshadowing. of He's like a Jesus-type figure. It's because David is in the Old Testament, but he lived with like a New Testament reality. God's with me everywhere I go. His presence is in the fields. God's, I'm like... He, I'm his favorite. Like he, he, he has done everything for me. I don't deserve it. And it, when God promised David that a, a temple was going to be built through his son, he's like, who am I that you would consider me? So David didn't have some inflated view of himself. He just knew who God was. He just knew that how, how big God's love is. He's like, I don't deserve your love, but I know 
that you're crazy about me. And it's nothing I did, Lord. I'm, an, I'm a murderer. I'm an adulterer. And yet you have mercy on me. When Saul committed sin, David, or when Saul committed sin, Saul ran from the presence of God. When David sinned, he ran into the presence of God. He ran when he sinned. So Psalm 119 verse 54 says, your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I love it. I, I, re, I read Psalm 119. That's, that's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible because it talks about the word and how amazing the word is. He says, your statutes, the word of God, are your songs. I make songs out of your word in the house of my pilgrimage. What's the house of your pilgrimage? This body right here. This is your, you are a walking tabernacle of God. You're like that tent. You're temporary. You're temporary until God makes a permanent temple in you whenever, with your resurrected body. Do y'all see the, the connection? And so Psalm 119 verse 20, my soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. This has been a prayer of mine. I was like, God, you have permission, permission to crush my soul with longing for your word. Where it's like, I can't survive without your word. I can't survive without your presence. I've got to have it. I've got to have it in the night. I've got to have it in the day. Crush my soul with longing. So what does this mean for us? You are the traveling tabernacle of God. The Garden of Eden, the kingdom of God is inside of you. You have access to unashamed fellowship with Father God through the blood of Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You are the tent of meeting. When people run into you, they run into Jesus incarnate. The reason it's hard to, to win social media arguments is because it's, you can't incarnate Jesus. That's a huge um, hyperbole generalization, but I'm, I'm serious. When I stand in front of Greg, hopefully he experiences Jesus on some level. That's why it's important, as Hebrews 12 says, do not forsake the assembling together. All the more as the day draws near, as the second coming gets closer and closer, assemble more and more. Because we're Jesus incarnate. God lives within us. You have been bought with a price. Your body is your temple. You, you are to offer the members of your body under righteousness. We are the temple of God. Romans 6 says, offer, it literally says, offer the members of your body as instruments of righteousness. And I believe if some of you do this regularly, you're actually going to start getting words of knowledge in your body. Like your back's going to hurt and you're like, I don't have back problems. And then you're going to ask your friend, do you have a, you have a back problem? He's like, yeah, I've got pain in my back. Oh, Okay. Let me pray for you. They get healed. Like you, you're going to literally sense, maybe be able to sense when like angels and demons. And I'm, I'm telling you, there's things that we don't talk about that often that, that happen. And so 
Offer your, the members of your body as instruments of righteousness. Even if none of those things happen, you're saying, God, let, when, let my hands be your hands. Let my eyes be your eyes. Give me your ears. Give, you, give me your mind. Give me your heart. I offer my body as, as instruments of righteousness unto you. And you are a house of prayer. You are an intercessor. Now listen, the picture I used to get of an intercessor was there eight hours pacing back and forth, warfare, tongues, and high energy. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. You will have warfare tongues at times. I love it. But, it, you, uh, but there's going to be a lot of listening. Prayer starts with God. If I just jump in a room and I just try to start praying the things I think are good ideas, I'm going to get burned out. You be still. You know that who is the Lord. You hear him. Lord, how do you want to pray? Then you go. The presence. Get in his presence. Welcome him. Welcome the king, and then he can intercede through you. You go out to, on outreaches. Welcome the Lord of the harvest, and then let him work through you. I'm going to end with this, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 9. This is going back to when the ark almost fell. Uzzah extended his hand and was struck dead. And this David responded, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? This is a huge key question. Because David didn't say, guess we can't carry the ark. Put it back in the wilderness. He was like, God, I want you. How can the ark of God come to me? And then he went back to the way God told him in Leviticus to carry the ark. God was like, there you go, David. Low and slow. But I think that, that's a question for us as a church. How can the ark of the Lord come to us? How can the presence of God come to us? How can we as a church prioritize the presence of God? When we have our small groups, when we have our outreaches, when we have our Sunday mornings, how can we prioritize the ark, the presence of God? And then for us individually in our, and, and for our families, how can, we make the, how can we welcome the ark of God? How can the ark of God come to us? How can, how can we welcome the presence of God in our homes? And it's different. Like, it doesn't look the same. Like, I hop Kansas City and, and Bethel and the Awakening and Living Hope Church. God will, will show you how to carry his presence, so to speak. And so... I want us to stand up if the band will come back. And I want us just to ask the Lord that question. Lord, how can, I, how can the ark of the Lord, how can your presence come to me? What are you asking of me? And to go into your, your workplaces and your families and, and with the understanding, I carry Jesus. I carry the presence of God. I'm Jesus with skin on through the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness. The Holy Spirit resides in you. He has the nature of God. He's got the gifts of God. You have everything. 
And when we believe that, when we start believing and we start being transformed by the renewing of our mind, then we can prove what God's will is. We can demonstrate what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And to demonstrate the will of God is to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth. Sickness leaves, oppression leaves, freedom is delivered.